The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast on the Nick and Roy channel. Brought to you in part by BPC. It's the best Portuguese chicken in the Toronto area. BPC. Slinging chickens since 2010. And by DeMarlo Salon and Spa of Naples. Hair, nails, massage and skin care for more than 15 years at the Naples location. Christmas is the time of year when you can see children's eyes light up with joy. It's the time to give and show love to one another. It's the time of year to put aside petty differences and realize that we're all one people. We share laughter, food, and gifts, and we give thanks because this is the day, Christmas, the day that Jesus was born and would change the world forever. You could be a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, or any religion, it doesn't matter. Christmas crosses all lines and brings out what is good in all of us. So, having said that, it's time for the Totally Useless Information Christmas Show! It's the most wonderful podcast of the year. (laughs) (laughs) We should, like... Like uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Merry Christmas, Roy. Merry Christmas, John. No, Merry Christmas. Christmas. We're glad that you've joined us today in this wonderful holiday. You know, I know you probably uh, are sick of your family at this point. So you said, you know what? I need to take a break from my family and the Christmas celebrations. And we thank you for joining us on the Totally Useless Information Podcast, the Christmas special. It's the best time of year. It is. Christmas was always my favorite. It really was. And so today, we're going to give you some useless information about Christmas and maybe some useful stuff and stuff you didn't that you never knew existed about Christmas, and that's why we're here today. Before we go on with that, now, Nick and I, of course, everybody knows, or maybe the, maybe you don't, so we, we grew up in New York together, and then Nick went off to Canada, and I ended up in Florida 20 years ago. But um, we were in a store in Westchester. What was it called? Treasure Island or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Treasure Island. And we were in the store and Nick says, oh, look at that, a Santa costume. Maybe maybe I should act like Santa, you know, put the Santa costume on. It sounds cool. It's fun, blah, 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 blah. Well, let me tell you something. What is it, 29 years later? 35. 35 years. Yes. Nick is doing Santa. And, And Nick doesn't just do Santa. Nick does really does Santa, the character of Santa for 35 years. And the cool part of it is I, I take phone calls uh, uh, from kids who ask questions about the North Pole and Mrs. Claus and the elves. But it's a lot of fun. It is. It is a lot of fun. And it's great to spread the Christmas spirit, which is what we hope to do today. Spread some Christmas cheer as we celebrate, as we say, the most wonderful time of the year, the most wonderful podcast of the year. Now, everyone knows that food is a big staple around the holidays 
So we're going to start mm-hmm. off with some, some food, some Christmas food. What we did was we gave the lady who normally does the, uh, the food jingle, we gave her the day off. She's spending time in the kitchen now uh, dealing with her family. <laughs> so She's freaking out in the kitchen right now. Oh, I did it! <laughs> Candy canes are a big staple of of Christmas time. They were invented to keep kids quiet. The legend has it that candy canes were invented in 1670 when the choir master of the Cologne Cathedral commissioned candies. Boy, you talk about alliteration. The choir master of the Cologne Cathedral commissioned candies shaped like the shepherd's crook. In order to keep them quiet, he just gave them the candy cane to suck on. The stripes, however, came later. That's the story of the candy cane to keep kids quiet. You said 1670, I believe, for the uh, candy canes. Yes. There's a lot going on in the 1600s. In 1607, in the Jamestown settlement here in the New World, eggnog was invented. And it was probably called egg grog because grog meant any drink with rum in it was called grog. So they mixed egg to make, and then they mixed the milk and the rum, and it was called egg grog, and of course became bastardized into egg nog. And of course, if you've had too much of the rum spiked egg nog, you became groggy. <laughs> so sugar plums from the sugar. Could you imagine, plums. Nick? Could you imagine they they pulled you over? They pulled your horse over and. Yeah. <laughs> He got an R R U I riding while in, uh, riding under the influence. <laughs> That's right. Um, whoa, Nelly! Uh, sugar plums have nothing to do with plums. You heard no. me. Nope. From the sugar plum fairy to visions of sugar plums dancing in children's heads, sugar plums definitely have a place in Christmas lore. But what are they exactly? You might have guessed by their name, but you know what? No, they're not made from plums. But these sweet treats were type candy. When they first came around in the 1600s, boy, a lot happened. A lot happened in the 1600s, didn't it? Yeah. They came. They came around in the 1600s. The term plum denoted any dried fruit, and typical mm-hmm. sugar plums were made with a combination of dried fruit and spices that were rolled into balls and then coated with a hard candy shell. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Giving food as a gift during the holidays is something we do. You give fruit cakes, you give this, you give that. Well, this is something to, to think about. In 1914 was the famous Christmas truce between the British and the German forces in World War One. The war was horrible, and there were so many deaths, and it was just so horrible. Christmas Day, they decided to call a truce. The guys came out of the foxholes shared food with each other, and also played soccer, which of course they call football, but they played soccer and things like that, and then at the end of the day went back into their foxholes and then start shooting at each other again. But but can you imagine in 1914 Christmas Day, they literally said, we got to stop the war for Christmas. I wish Christmas was every day, right? That's right. Merry Christmas here. Let me give you one of my bullets. You mentioned fruitcake. Now, yes. If you you ever have you ever received a fruitcake as a gift? I actually like Stolen, which is a German fruitcake type of fruitcake, and it has marzipan in it, which is a Mm. almond-based sweet. 
but I, I prefer the stolen version of a fruitcake. But yes, I actually do. I'm one of the few human beings on earth that like fruitcake. <laughs> but they last a long time without ever going bad, and it's thanks to the preservative properties of the sugar and the booze that they contain. And mm. actually, that's part of the design. They were originally intended to be baked at the end of the harvest season and then saved to be eaten at the beginning of the harvest season the following year for good luck. Now, if you like to eat stolen fruitcake, you should give it back. <laughs> I have a fruitcake from 1975. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so let me let me give you, being be that... I was talking about World War One. In World War Two, here's here's a cool Christmas fact from World War Two. Bicycle playing cards. You ever saw the playing cards that have the guy on the bicycle? They're called bicycle playing cards. Yeah, yeah really it's a famous. brand name. It's a big brand name. Yes, they gave to the U.S. POW soldiers that were being held in the Nazi camps for Christmas. They asked the Nazis if they could send in playing cards so that the uh, soldiers could play cards with each other while they waste away and don't eat in a prison camp. But anyway, they, they gave them these prison. They gave the prisoners these cards, and the Germans said, "Yeah, because I guess who knows? Everybody in World War One and World War Two, they seem nice at Christmas." But they give them the cards, and the, the Germans never knew that when you put the cards in water, they actually showed escape routes and plans to escape. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is awesome. That's a cool Christmas one. They ate their stolen fruitcakes. Do you remember the animal crackers that came in a box with a string? Yes. Okay. All right. So mm -hmm. animal crackers. look like a wagon on the front with the animals in it. That's right. There's a significance to the string. But animal crackers huh. were first introduced around Christmas time in 1902. The string on the box was originally intended to be used to hang on Christmas trees as an ornament. So animal crackers were meant for a Christmas treat. Cool. You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast, the Christmas special. We're really happy that you've joined us. We're, we're camped out in front of the fireplace here. I'm going to, hold on, I'm going to put another log on the fire here. As you know what I want, right? What's that? I want BPC chicken. Mm. That's what I want. It would be great if you if you take the chicken that they make, which is absolutely delicious, and then you put it over your fireplace to, to heat it up. It would be the most delicious thing. I mean, BPC chicken's already delicious to begin with. You know what? Never mind. You can eat the BPC chicken in front of the fireplace, enjoying yourself. You know how many people emailed us about their holiday parties? BPC did the catering for the holiday parties. That was uh, something that we were telling our listeners to do. And BPC did a fantastic job. Say thank you, BPC Chicken. Thank you for those Christmas parties that you did. But remember, folks, BPC Chicken is not just about catering. BPC Chicken is about eating chicken dinner. <laughs> it is. And the thing is, so you've cooked your heart out during the, uh, the Christmas season. Now you're just sick of cooking. So have someone else cook for you. BPC 942 The Queensway is where they are. They're in the Toronto area. So if you're listening in the podcast area and saying, well, I'm not nowhere near Toronto, but you have family members or, that are in the Toronto area, send them to BPC Chicken. They're closed for a couple of days because we have Christmas Day today, and then, of course, tomorrow is Boxing Day. Is that when Canadians punch each other? No, no, no. 
<laughs> put BPC, up your dukes. Put up your dukes. Uh, BPC is the best Portuguese chicken in the Toronto area. 942 The Queensway, as I mentioned. Now, if you want to give them a call, 416-255-7177. Now, Christmas might be today and might be over, but there's that lull between Christmas and New Year's. You really don't want to have that leftover turkey. What better way to celebrate the time in between Christmas and New Year's than the best Portuguese chicken? They have other sides as well. They have delicious potatoes and rice, and they have vegetarian and vegan options as well, so they have it all for you. And the friendly staff will make sure that your meal is absolutely perfect. VPC Chicken, the best Portuguese chicken, 942 The Queensway, 416-255-7177, and ask them about their family specials. I got a cool little thing here. The image of Santa Claus flying in his sleigh began in 1819 and was created by Washington Irving. That's the same guy who wrote The Headless Horseman. <laughs> wow. Talk about a bipolar guy. <laughs> no, no pun intended with Santa and Polar. <laughs> he was not bipolar, yes. <laughs> animal, 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 crazy animal. Animals in around Christmas time are significant. Camels and the donkey, the three kings or the magi who predicted the birth of Jesus, are depicted as arriving on the backs of camels. It is also widely believed that Mary arrived in Bethlehem on the back of a donkey and that a donkey carried Jesus into Jerusalem. So for which the reason that Jerusalem donkey is said to have a cross-shaped mark on its back. In fact, until the 19th century, St. Nicholas was also typically shown riding a donkey in or around a horse-drawn sleigh. Reindeer became a Scandinavian modification later on in history. Well, speaking of reindeer, how could we leave Rudolph out when we're talking about animals? Yeah. Rudolph was invented by Montgomery Ward Department Store as a marketing gimmick to sell coloring books. He could have also been named Reginald or Rollo. Those were names that were thrown around, but Rudolph was the name. And Rudolph stuck, and he did not have a red nose first year. So, yes, that's right. He named him Rudolph. May said his daughter liked reindeer, and he said he was treated like Rudolph as a child. So, because you remember Rudolph in the story, and we'll talk about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the, the great television classic. But in the story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, he was bullied, right? All the reindeer wouldn't let him play in any reindeer games because he was different. Well, apparently, the author May was treated just like Rudolph as a child. So he kind of drew from his own personal experience. But while May was pondering how best to craft a Christmas story about a reindeer who was bullied, he was staring out his window one day in downtown Chicago when a thick fog from Lake Michigan blocked his view, giving him a flash of inspiration. Suddenly, I had it, he recalled, a nose, a bright red nose that would shine through the fog like a spotlight. Cool. You know, when a reindeer has a red nose, we think of Rudolph, right? But a veterinarian wouldn't think of Rudolph. A veterinarian would diagnose the deer as having a parasitic infection of the respiratory system. Rudolph had a cold. Maybe that's why he talked like that in the, in the TV special. <laughs> so the great classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the stop-action uh, animated the story, 
has a Canadian twist to it. In an annual Christmas event that has been every year since the first broadcast in 1964, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer aired on CBS, I remember, as a kid, all over Canada and the United States. What few will know, and that's why you're listening to the Totally Useless Information podcast, is that the American production featured all Canadian voices except for For Our Lives, who, of course, was American. Mm-hmm. The bendable puppets were designed in America, but built and filmed in stop-action form in Japan. Why the American production company Rankin-Bass came to Canada for the voices? The answer is talent and money. Canadian voice actors in Toronto, as a matter of fact, were among the best in the world, and perhaps more importantly for the American company, very inexpensive compared to American actors. So the Canadian Actors Union, which was brand new at the time, wasn't used to, to the idea of residuals. So the Canadian actors, the poor Canadian actors who performed the, the great classic that it is today, never received a penny after the initial broadcast. So they were ripped off. But the well-known singer, Burl Ives, on the other hand, a last-minute inclusion as the American sponsors wanted some star power, got a much better deal. He and now his estate have cast royalty checks from the Rudolph broadcast every year since 1964. Wow. And the damn Canadians got screwed. Totally. I should have known because the, the reindeer were like, uh, let's fly, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of, instead of playing reindeer games, they played hockey. <laughs> Here's how payback is is a bitch, as they say. Okay, talking about karma. The puppets that we use in the film were not quite as durable. Rankin Bass Production Company moved and didn't store them properly when they moved from the New York location. They were trashed. Rankin's family, the secretary actually, took some of of the uh, puppets home to, for their nieces and nephews to play under the Christmas tree. They placed them in the attic for storage, and they all melted together. The original ones? The original ones. The only thing that was saved was Santa and Rudolph. It was slightly damaged. They were eventually sold for $10,000. Oh, the, they they died and melted in the attic along with the Canadian actors. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the new owner had them professionally restored. They're now valued at $200,000 U.S., Oh, my God. Crazy. That's pretty crazy. In London's Trafalgar Square, a tree is donated and lit in a ceremony. It's donated by the people of Oslo, Norway, as a thank you for their assistance for helping out Norway in World War II. So every year, they send a tree from Norway over to the Brits, and they say thank you for helping us in World War II. But I got I, now. Let me finish because this has a Canadian twist to it. Okay. In the city of Boston, they also get a tree. Do you know from who? No. Canadians from Nova Scotia. In 1917, there was a massive explosion in Nova Scotia and a big massive fire, and Boston sent up loads of volunteers to help the people and rebuild and so on. So every year since 1917, Nova Scotia, who's a very massive producer, I think the number one producer of Christmas trees in the world is Nova Scotia, and they send a prized Christmas tree to the city of Boston as a thank you. 
I thought that was pretty cool. You're welcome. The first Thanks. Christmas tree, speaking of Christmas trees, begun in Germany in the 700s. St. Boniface was a British monk and was preaching a sermon at the town's nativity scene. And he tried to convince the devoted townspeople that the oak tree was not sacred as they idolized it as such. The tree fell and toppled everything except for one small fir. The monk interpreted it as a miracle and called it the tree of the Christ child. And by the 1700s, the popularity of the Christmas tree spread to North America. Wow, pretty cool. You know that Germans also invented tinsel. In 1610, they invented tinsel for the tree, and they actually made it out of real silver. The Germans invented a lot of incredible things, including Heidi Klum. <laughs> you know I got to get Heidi in. <laughs> People are thinking that she's like a co-host or something. It's Nick and Roy and Heidi <laughs> I got news for you, Nick. If Heidi shows up, you're out. <laughs> All you'll hear is it's the Heidi and Roy show, and you'll hear Nick in the background going mm -hmm, with the tape over his mouth. <laughs> if that's not a warm Christmas sentiment, I don't know what is. <laughs> oh, man. So you talk about the Germans and trees. How about here's, here's a segment, Christmas traditions from around the world. The world, the world, world, world. world. Germany, uh, have a, they have a pickle in the tree. Oh, okay. <laughs> Christmas. Hold on. That's what I told, that's what I told Heidi. <laughs> no, come on. This is a warm and fuzzy, totally useless information podcast Christmas edition. We're here to... Go to hell with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's already too late, Nick. The train's off the rails. <laughs> the Polar Express is derailed. Uh, the Christmas tree tradition embraced around the world today is believed to have started in Germany back in the 16th century. So it has come to, as no surprise to our cousins that they still have some funny customs relating to the festive trees. One of those is to hide a pickle somewhere within the branches of the tree and give a mm. gift to whichever child in the household finds the pickle. Mm. Some claim that the tradition may not be German after all. One legend says that the Christmas pickle originated in Spain when two young boys were held as prisoners inside a pickle barrel. St. <laughs> Nicholas rescued the boys and brought them back to life. Hold on. I'm not done yet. Either way, a pickle on the Christmas tree is a tradition we totally get behind. Yes. In fact, I say, oh, hi, Heidi. Well, let's play hide the pickle. Listen, these are traditions from around the world. I'm not making this up. Now, I have a tradition from yeah. around the world. From where? The tradition of hanging stockings is Dutch. Oh. It's a Dutch tradition. It's a, from a Dutch legend. There was a poor girl whose father couldn't uh, put together a dowry for her. And, of course, if you had a girl that didn't have a dowry, nobody wanted to marry her. So the, the guy, the tradition is that Santa came to the house and threw gold down the chimney. And the gold, instead of going into the fire, fell into the stockings that she hung to dry, because that's where they would hang their stockings to dry by the fire. 
And so the, the, that became the story. If you hang your stockings by the fireplace, when Santa throws gold or gifts down, they'll get caught in the stocking. Of course, in America, they used different material. It was more expandable stockings so they can fit more stuff in it. Talk about a stocking stuffer. Don't mm-hmm. talk about Heidi Klum. Heidi Klum. Heidi wears stockings at Christmas for me. <laughs> and a, und a garter belt. <laughs> and the stocking stuffer are divorce papers. <laughs> My wife would be like, just go. Just go. Be like, thank you, Heidi. That's the best gift you ever gave me. <laughs> so in Finland, uh, there's a festive sauna tradition. Many homes in Finland come equipped with their own sauna. And at Christmas time, this cozy spot becomes a sacred space associated with long dead ancestors. On Christmas Eve, it's customary to strip naked and take a long and respectful stint in the sauna with your family members, who's also believed to be home to the legendary sauna elf. Who is also naked in there with you. Uh-huh. After the sauna session, the Finns would head out to the evening celebrations while the spirits of their dead ancestors took their place. Let's go. Let's go on. <laughs> Shall we? In Germany, Poland, and Ukraine, as we learned from our friend on the radio show that we did the interview, it's not the Ukraine, it's Ukraine. Please send him a copy of this. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. What's his name, Nick? Ted Wallachin. Ted, cool guy. Ted's a cool guy. In Germany, Poland, and Ukraine, if you find a spider web on a Christmas tree, it's the harbinger of good luck. In Sweden... Donald Duck is a Christmas tradition. The video that came out in 1958 was a Christmas special translated as Donald Duck and his friends wish you a Merry Christmas. Every Christmas, families from Sweden would gather around the television at 3 o'clock sharp to watch Donald Duck. Everything on Christmas is planned around this television special, and more than 40% of Sweden's population still to this day tune in like clockwork at three o'clock so the tradition dates back to the 1960s when televisions were a new commodity in sweden and only two channels aired one of which played disney cartoons at christmas it may be a quirky tradition but a whole nation coming together to watch christmas cartoons together is about as christmas as it gets as opposed to Laying around in the sauna naked with your family members in Finland. I love the Finns. You got to love the Finnish people. Yes. They really yeah. know how to finish. Okay, listen, yeah. the the origins of Chris, they bring a, a, a little, what do you call them? You're listening to the Totally Useless Information <laughs> with Nick and Roy as we uh, celebrate Christmas on this Christmas Day. We thank you for joining us and all of the episodes you've joined us and the great support. We really, truly thank you for that. That is a Christmas gift for us. We really, really thank you for that. And if you want to send us an email, our email address is tuipodcast at outlook.com. Yeah, also, you got to remember, um, we have um, two great sponsors now. Of course, BPC Chicken, which outrageous chicken in Toronto. But we also have DeMarlo Salon and Spa, almost on the other side of the earth, down in Naples, Florida, 
we have an enormous amount of listeners from Southwest Florida and Toronto, Canada, which is which is where we both hail from. DeMarlo Salon and Spa, amazing, amazing place. I was telling you all uh, December long to get your gift cards there for massages and skincare, and they, they do amazing cuts and color, and it's just such a great place. Their, their staff is so professional. And again, full-service salon and spa. If you're thinking about changing your look, doing a different style on your hair, you need to go to DeMarlo's. Their phone number is 239-793-2020. That's 239-793-2020. You can look them up on demarlosalon.com. And they're located right in Naples, Florida, on the corner of Vanderbilt Beach Road and Collier Boulevard. The Marlowe Salon and Spa, 17 years in that location. Just amazing. Give them a call. Set something up with them. You'll really be glad you did. Yep. For my New Year's resolution, I'm going to get my nails done. I'm going to get my hair done. I'm going to get a massage. I'm going to have a spa. Do you have saunas there? Do they have saunas at the Marlowe's? They do, and they have little Finnish uh, leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Marlowe's has everything. I tell you, I was just there yesterday. I got a haircut. Uh, I got a haircut for Christmas, and that place is just unbelievable. It looks great. I don't know if in the Marlowe's they have some mistletoe hanging around. If you see mistletoe, you have to kiss under the mistletoe. The hanging sprig is a very ancient symbol of virility, and therefore anybody standing beneath it is signaling that he or she is sexually available, according to some folklore. Uh. The Druids prescribed it for female infertility patients and as an antidote for poison. Mistletoe was a plant of love, peace, and hope, and harmony. Its name was derived from mista, meaning dung. Since the plant mm. is derived from seeds in birds' poop, from Scandinavians, <laughs> the mistletoe belonged to the goddess of love, Frigga, the kissing custom is believed to have started due to the romantic association with the goddess Frigga, kissing under the mistletoe. That's friggin' amazing. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> the origin of the Christmas wreath is brought about by the crown of thorns worn on Jesus's head. The original wreaths had red berries put in them to represent the blood. That was drawn when Jesus had the crown of thorns placed on his head. I thought that was interesting. It is. Because Christmas wreath is, is, a, um, is a Christmas tradition. Yeah, but you see wreaths all the time. And you really don't think about that. I never knew that. Now, a big part of uh, the Christmas traditions is music. And I know that, you, Roy, you, you were telling me, although we don't tell each other what we're going to talk about, if you're new to the podcast, welcome and. Roy and I, when we gather our information, we only talk about, we only tell each other the topics and or the categories we're going to talk about. We don't tell each other exactly what we're going to say. But I do know that you mentioned you're going to bring up some uh, some great Christmas music facts. But in my case, I have the 12 days of Christmas, a fun fact about the 12 days of Christmas. You know, on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. Well, all of the 12 days of Christmas, which, by the way, start on Christmas Day and they go to January 6th, which is the Epiphany, and that's when it is believed that the three kings visited the baby Jesus. The 12 days of Christmas start on Christmas Day today and go on for 12 days. 
From the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree, which symbolizes God, true love, and Jesus, the partridge. So each of the days of the 12 days of Christmas have a significance to have a relation with the Bible. For example, the second day of Christmas, the two turtle doves were the Old and New Testaments. On the third day, the three French hens represented the three gifts of faith, hope, and love. On the fourth day, calling birds were the four Gospels. The five golden rings in the fifth day were the books of Moses. The sixth day, the six geese laying, were for the six days of creation. There you go. Six geese laying meant the six days of creation. you got to bring the fins up again. There you go. <laughs> On the seventh day, the swans are swimming. The seven swans are swimming were the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. The eight maids of milking were the eight beatitudes. The nine ladies dancing were the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, such as charity, peace, and kindness. The tenth day, meaning the ten lords are leaping, represented the ten commandments, which makes sense. The eleventh day, with the pipers piping, were the eleven apostles. I know there were twelve apostles, but we'll get into that in another episode. On the twelfth day, twelve drummers drumming represented the points of the Apostles' Creed. So the twelve days of Christmas have a direct association with the Bible. Well, thank God there were only 12, otherwise we would have been here for a half hour. <laughs> I have okay. two music things, and right. I thought that they were interesting. There's a million music things for Christmas, but these two I thought were pretty interesting. The Jingle Bells, which is probably one of the most famous Christmas songs, yeah. was written for Thanksgiving. What? Yes, it was not even written for Christmas. You know, dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, all the fields we go, laughing all the way. Ha, 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 ha. Taking a sauna with the finish. No, okay. So anyway, Jingle Bells was really written for Thanksgiving. Pretty crazy. So, but then this one got me. Oh, this was, I thought, amazing. So White Christmas... We all know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Okay. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Winter Wonderland, The Christmas Song, and I'll Be Home for Christmas and Silent Night are pretty much six of the most famous Christmas songs there are have one thing in common. What's you know that? what that is. No. They were all written by Jews. Really? <laughs> I wow. swear to God. Irving Berlin, all of they, these songs were all written by Jewish people who had nothing better to do because Hanukkah was already over and they had a day off. <laughs> they said, what? what do you want me to do? I had time on my hands. <laughs> so to all our Jewish friends, Hanukkah coincides with Christmas. In fact, it started on the 22nd of uh, December, so three days ago. And uh, usually there are days or, or weeks apart. But this year, Hanukkah is, uh, coincides with Christmas. So happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish friends. It's amazing how, you know, um, the holidays really do coincide. And, and, and I know that everybody goes crazy, you know, that, that they down Christmas and so on. And I believe that what, whatever your religion is, you should celebrate whatever that holiday is. But um, Hanukkah really does take a back seat to Christmas. So to all our Jewish friends, you know, um, really happy Hanukkah. And also, thanks for writing like the six best Christmas songs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I love. Well, thank you. 
Now, one last thing about the 12 days of Christmas. So I looked it up, and because every year PNC Bank calculates the Christmas price index, which reveals how much it would truly cost to gift everything from the 12 days of Christmas. So this year, everything from the partridge in the pear tree to the 12 drummers drumming will cost you a total of U.S. dollars, $38,993.59. Almost thirty nine thousand. If you were also to tally the repeats of the song's verses, right? So there'll be three hundred and sixty four gifts in total, right? Because every time you go through the twelve verses, it comes to a whopping a hundred and seventy thousand two hundred and ninety eight dollars and three cents. You'd be broke. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Of all the birds in the True Love's Christmas list, you know the seven swans are swimming and so on. They're most expensive. Yes. They were at a cost of thirteen thousand one hundred and twenty-five. A swan? No, no. In total, all the birds, all the birds combined in the twelve days of Christmas cost thirteen thousand one twenty-five. The most ex- expensive item in the list. They must be union birds. No, I think that song was invented by a Jewish guy who sold birds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get them to buy all the birds. <laughs> So as we wind down this uh, Christmas edition. Hey, wait, I got I got to tell you something. Okay. You are bringing up old traditions. I mean, Christmas is tradition, Mm -hmm. but yet we don't realize that the symbolism is everywhere. Everything about Christmas is symbolism. The traditional colors of Christmas are red, green, and gold. Red is the blood of Christ. Green is the color of rebirth. And gold is the color of royalty, being that Jesus Christ was the king of all of, of, of man. So even the colors have symbolism to them. And one more thing, the artificial Christmas tree. We take for granted that we buy Christmas trees and so on. But the artificial Christmas tree was started in the 1800s. Before they were actually sold, people would buy like grass hula skirts and sew them together into a pyramid shape of a tree. Really cool. I guess it was cheaper and it looked pretty cool, I guess, until they put candles on it and realized they burned the house down. Yes. Which is pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but a company called the Addis Brush Company they made mostly toilet brushes. They figured out how to reset up their machines to wove the toilet brushes together and create what looked like limbs and the, the fur of the tree. Now, it worked out great because they were less flammable and much stronger to hold the ornaments on. So you have the toilet brushes being used to create a Christmas tree. Pretty cool. Now... I must ask, are they brand new toilet brushes or are they used? No, they're brand new toilet brushes, but there's no ring around this tree. <laughs> yes. And in fact, they had names like they said, well, this one's the Royal Flush. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you call the queen after she goes to the bathroom, the Royal Flush. <laughs> So um, we want to thank you as we wrap up this this wonderful Christmas special of the Totally Useless Information Podcast. I want to share you some of my memories of the Christmases past. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Christmas is, is my most favorite holiday. And I think it has a lot to do with, with how I grew up. 
and we used to go to midnight mass and uh, we were like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old, I guess I remember. And it was the longest mass, right? Because midnight mass wasn't just like your ordinary roughly 60 minutes. It was almost an hour and a half. And it dragged on and on and on. And I just couldn't wait to get home because when we did get home, we found out that Santa stopped by and brought us lots of presents. So we would leave around 11 o'clock to go to midnight mass. And the tree was like empty. There was nothing under the tree. And then when we came back from Midnight Mass, the tree was just filled with presents. And as a, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old, I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of cool. And then I would remember playing the next day with my cousins and all the gifts that we had gotten. Most of the time, we got toys and whatnot. But the best part was on Christmas Day, we would eat my mom's homemade lasagna. She made the best homemade lasagna. with The, the way she made it, because we're from the southern Italy, she made it with ricotta and little uh, little meatballs and homemade tomato sauce. It was absolutely delicious. Yummy. But the most memorable Christmas was, I guess I was 10 years old, and I got a Ross bike. And the Ross bike had one of those chrome fenders. And when I I, I was excited because I, I, I got this bike, I always wanted this bike. And on the fender, on the chrome fender, was a thumbprint. Was santa's thumbprint as far as i was concerned as a 10 year old yeah he left it there <laughs> and i wasn't sure if this, if i was more excited because i got the bike or the fact that way before dna evidence i had dna of santa's fingerprint a thumbprint right. but it was absolutely i remember that and i and i rode that bike into the ground man i rode that every single day but uh, those are my memories, and I do uh, remember gathering around the table, and I know we talked in a Thanksgiving special how we had 15 or 20 people at our dinner table, and my mom would make the most, uh, the most delicious uh, dinners, and uh, I do miss those, I do, because there were so many great memories. I still have some wonderful memories uh, today with my wife and, and uh, her family, and uh, we do spend Christmas together. But uh, I really, really cherish the time that is Christmas. And I hope that those of you out there who are listening, and we thank you once again, that your Christmas season is warm and wonderful and that you share it with someone really, really special because this is a very special time of the year. Well, I want to tell you what I'm thankful for at Christmas. I'm thankful for the fact that I have an amazing wife who puts up with all of my nonsense throughout the year and has for the last uh, 36 or so. I'm so thankful for my son, who has grown up to be an amazing young man. I'm thankful for my life. I love being in Florida. I'm thankful for friends. I'm also super stoked and thankful that this Christmas I get to spend it with my best friend, Nick, and his lovely wife, who, who is amazing and helps us out so much on the show. We have so, so much to be thankful for in this life. And Christmas is a time to really say that. On behalf of all of us at the Totally Useless Information Podcast, I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs>